Turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 6, continuing through this uh, divine record of the history of the early church uh, from the time of its empowerment by the Holy Spirit, uh, the gospel beginning at Jerusalem, moving out to Judea, and we'll see it then move to Samaria and to, uh, by the end of the book of Acts, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, that's basically one of the outlines of the book of Acts. You can do a geographic outline, and uh, that is a good outline of the book of Acts. Uh, We want to read verses 5 through 15 of Acts chapter 6. I've entitled this, A False Witness. A False Witness, Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words, against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. The Bible teaches us that the devil is a murderer, and he is the father of the lie. And so it's no surprise that those that hate Jesus Christ would do the same. We find our Lord's teaching concerning the wicked one in John 8:44. Our Lord said this, Ye are of your father, the devil, speaking to the same kind of people, perhaps some of the same people that are pursuing this um, false witnessing and uh, martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, he said, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust, lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now when it says it speaketh of his own, meaning of his own authority, uh, he is a usurper. God gave him authority, but he did not give him the authority to speak a lie. And, uh, and so he is a murderer, and he is the father of a lie. And we see this spirit in these that sought false witnesses to condemn Stephen, an honest man uh, full of the Spirit of God. 
and a crusader for Jesus Christ, and they killed him, you see. Now, when I think of this, of false witnesses and, and something similar, this, of course, I think of Stephen. We'll be looking at him in our text. But I also think of Naboth in the Old Testament. This was done to him. Naboth was a righteous man. And then, of course, of our Lord, our Lord Jesus. So we want to look at these three and then address some more of the Scripture concerning being a witness or those who are false witnesses. And so we want to look at Stephen, Naboth, and Jesus. So let's review first here concerning Stephen. We read these verses. We might read them again, beginning at verse 10, so they're fixed in our mind. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now the word spirit there, I, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. It is the translator's uh, decision whether to make that lowercase or capital. Most of your translations will make it capital. It is, I think, talking about the Spirit of God that gave him wisdom. Verse 11, Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words. This is a false witness against Stephen. See, it's a lie. Uh, false words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders. And the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel, filled with the spirit of wisdom, which can actually change one's countenance. We shared that with you last week. Now, as we look at this, the word suborn in verse 11. To suborn men means that they sought out men, giving them bribes and persuading them in different ways to give a false witness. That's what it means. Someone that you would seek out and give a bribe or pressure them some way or another to be a false witness. So they sought out false witnesses. Now it mentions the word counsel. Uh, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. Uh, the way I tell our students, you have counsel like biblical counsel. And then you have this kind of counsel. But you, this one has an I, C-I-L. And I think of a city council. You know, a, a group of people. And that's a way to remember those two those homonyms there. But here we see uh, council. Now, this is the Sanhedrin. Matter of fact, that's the Greek word, Sanhedrin. Now, there was the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. That's the one he's talking about here. That's the one he was brought before. But they did, in particular localities throughout Israel, have lower courts. They were each called a Sanhedrin. But they would have about 21 uh, you know, to compose the court, whereas the great Sanhedrin could have up as many as like 71. And this is the council uh, that uh, Stephen has brought before. Now, we know this because, well, first of all, they're in Jerusalem. Secondly, the high priest. You see, there is only one high priest of the nation, and he is the one that, that served at the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. He's brought before this council. It tells us that in verse 15. 
and all they that sat in the council. Now look at chapter 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? So he's in the locality of Jerusalem. It is a high priest addressing him and other uh, high officials there in Jerusalem. So he is in the great Sanhedrin court, the highest Jewish court of the land. And so they are examining him. And of course, he gives the great discourse of the Old Testament and tells about how the people of Israel, many of them were unbelievers and resisted the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we think of this, I want you to look at uh, verse 2 of chapter 7, because here we see that he, as I said, he, he addresses the Sanhedrin, and he said, men and brethren, and fathers, hearken. So this is the title he's given to these men of the court. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now he goes on through. I mean, this all, basically this whole chapter, except for the verses that record their ungodly response at the end of the chapter in the martyrdom of Stephen. But most of this chapter, and we'll be looking at it, uh, not tonight, but this discourse that Stephen gave to the great Sanhedrin. But look at chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. So I want to clarify something here. 6, verses 13 and 14. They set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered. Now, Jesus did not say that he would destroy the temple. Speaking of his body, he said, destroy this temple. And he wasn't talking about what he would do. But if someone did to him, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. So Jesus never said anywhere that he would destroy the temple. Now, he did say that the temple would be destroyed. He taught that destruction would come upon the temple uh, in the discourse on uh, the second coming or, well, the judgment upon Israel in their day, and he ties it into the second coming. Um, so basically, their main charge here was that of blasphemy. That's what they had clear scriptural grounds for. Now, it's totally false. I mean, Stephen is a godly person, and he loved God, and there's in no way he would use his name in in any way, in any uh, uh, unscriptural way. And uh, here is the passage in Leviticus 24, 16. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him as well the stranger as he that is born in the land when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall be put to death. So they had the death penalty under the law of Moses. They had the death penalty for blasphemy. But you understand clearly these were false witnesses that said about him blaspheming. Now, as we look at this, we, I, we do want to see the end result. Look at chapter 7, verse 59. Of course, you know this, but we'll just see the end result of their false testimony. Their false witnessing in chapter 7, verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, 
receive my spirit. So they stoned him to death. An innocent man, a godly man, and through false witnesses, they said that he blasphemed. Now, this is the same thing that you find happened to Naboth. So I invite you to mark your place. We'll come back, but go with me to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. And we'll find that this is something that the Satan uses in persecution of the righteous. Do not be surprised if you are not falsely accused. I know that I have been uh, lied to when we started our school ministry. A, a person just blatantly lied in a city council meeting, told me one thing, and denied that he said that. But this is Satan's tactics, and he will lie, and he'll try to get false witnesses. That's why the Bible, uh, speaking of a pastor, uh, because of being a place where he is vulnerable, and because it is a place that takes some honor to get to, uh, that you're to make sure you have two or three witnesses before you would consider anything. Uh, you don't want to just believe what someone says. And a lot of times there can be misconceptions. You know, uh, people can see things and they think uh, and put a scenario to something that is not true. And, uh, and so we have to be careful about all people, but the devil many times will target a pastor and stir up lies and different things to seek to destroy his ministry. Now let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17, or excuse me, chapter 21. If I said uh, 17, I was mistaken. Uh, 1 Kings 21, and we want to read verses 1 through 14, this account of what happened to Naboth. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word of which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Behold, or excuse me, because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in the city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. 
and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of the city, even the elders and of the nobles, who were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. And as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast, and they set Naboth on high among the people. And, and there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. So we see a parallel here. Now the sons of Belial, uh, the word means worthless, worthless men, wicked men. Uh, I know years ago I said that this could be personified of Satan. It's really in years gone by in, in studying this, I probably need to correct myself in that because um, just about most all definitions would make this just worthless men or sons of uh, or rather wicked men. Uh, some of the, uh, there are some of the, writings of the Essenes that had that kind of reference, but it just means worthless and wicked men, uh, those that would lie and give a false testimony. And so just like Stephen, Naboth was a righteous man, and God instructed the Israelites not to sell their inheritance. That's why Naboth did not want to do this. Uh, the only time he did give place if they became into extreme poverty they could sell it, but by the rules of the law of Jubilee, they would get it back at the Jubilee. Every 50 years, the land would be restored to the original owner. That was a law that he gave, so it'd stay in the particular families, and that the land would stay in Israel and stay in the particular family's ownership. And so because of the laws of inheritance, Naboth did not want to sell this vineyard. And Ahab had a wicked, covetous heart. His wife Jezebel was the daughter of the Zidonian king who, is the, uh, who practiced Baal worship. And through her, Baal worshiped in her into Israel. And so she was a most wicked woman. And she gave evil counsel and carried out this plot and, uh, and hired and bribed and got false witnesses against Naboth. And the charge was blasphemy, and that did carry the death penalty, as we read from the book of Leviticus. And so they then killed him, you see. Now, the next one we want to look at is our Lord. So go now to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 26. Not only did, was Stephen, not only did they have false witnesses and kill him unjustly, and Naboth unjustly, through false witnesses, but of course they had a false witness in regard to our Lord. False witnesses. Look at Matthew 26, and we'll read verses 57 through 66. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 57 through verse 66. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off, unto the high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest and elders and all the council, there we see it again, 
sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Now, Jesus spoke, as I said, of his body, that if they destroy his body in death, he would raise it up in three days. And uh, th- what we find here is that they said that he blasphemed. This is what they try to use. Now, in Jesus' case, it was their unbelief and their hardened heart. Because Jesus spoke the truth. He by no means blasphemed. It was their blasphemous hearts that dishonored God that attributed blasphemy to him. It was their blind and wicked hearts, unbelieving hearts, that did not see he was the Son of God and did not acknowledge the truth and bear witness to the truth. Now, here's the problem. And this must be explained. Because you'll hear people say the Jews did not have power to put someone to death. Well, we got a problem because we already have them putting one to death. They put Stephen to death. So what's the consistency here? They did not have legal authority to do it. But if it was someone insignificant, the Jews didn't pay any, excuse me, Rome didn't pay any mind. I mean, they, they were of such that they had more things to worry about. Let the Jews take care of their problems. The problem with Jesus was he was so popular and he was so well known that they, if they did that, they would have stirred up the wrath of Rome. So they had to get Rome involved. Because if they tried to stone Jesus like they did Stephen, they got by with that. But they would not have gotten by with the other because of all that that would have stirred up um, you know, among the people. And Rome would have taken note of that. And so they had to come up with some kind of lies to get Rome involved. And so let me quote to you uh, in Luke, from the book of Luke, chapter 23, I'm reading verses 1 and 2. And the whole multitude of them arose. Now this is the Sanhedrin, the multitude of the court. They arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, or they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, first of all, he was not perverting the nation. It was the stirring up of unbelief and the wrath of the Pharisees that was causing the problem. He was a blessing to the nation. And here the nation they're referring to is to the Jewish nation. Then forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Well, that's just a blatant lie. We know it records in the Bible. But he says, give unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. 
Yes, he was a king, but if you notice, he did not go around acknowledging he was a king. He didn't deny it. Matter of fact, if you look in the Bible, he did not go around telling people he was a son of God. He did not go around telling people he was a king. In the book of John, privately, he told the woman at the well that he was the Messiah. And in chapter 8, he told the blind man that he was the son of God. Now, you, there's a, the other places are just, uh, I know one time he told his enemies in a passage such as we uh, read uh, here <coughs> about being the son of God. Uh, and of course it mentions here, I think he's the son of God. But you'll find that that was not something that he went around saying. He wanted his works to testify of that. And so he, he told Pilate, he said, I, my kingdom is not of this world. And you know, Pilate said, well, what is truth? He said, I am the truth. You know, he said, what is truth? And you know what? Pilate, three times, if you want to mark this reference down, John 18, verse 38, John 19, verses 4 and 6, three times he said, I find no fault in him. But what happened, the people pressed him. And it says, and from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And so they were using Rome. That's why it says in the book of Acts chapter 2, They with wicked hands crucified Christ. You see, they didn't have any hands. They had to use the hands of the Romans. But it was their wicked heart that stirred this up. And then Pilate told the people, behold your king. And they said, the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And of course, all of the hypocrisy and the hatred and so forth. And then in John 19, 16, then delivered he, that is Pilate, then delivered he him, that is Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And so you see the false charges that they stirred up to get Rome involved. Pilate knew that they were not true charges, but he didn't know he couldn't get out of the pressure of the people. And he conceded to their request. Now, the ninth commandment, we have ten commandments in chapter 20 of, of um, Exodus. They're also repeated, I think, in chapter 6 or 7 of Deuteronomy, somewhere in that order. It says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, when we think of that, most of us, we think that one of the commands is thou shalt not lie. Well, that is true. That is thou shalt not lie. But it is put in the context, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Because a lie is a detrimental thing. Matter of fact, there is a proverb, Proverb 25, 18. A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul, that is a hammer, a sword, and a sharp arrow. In other words, a person that is a false witness is like instruments of death. Like someone would take a hammer and beat someone to death or a sword and cut them uh, to, uh, to death or an arrow and pierce them through. That's what a false witness. You can destroy with a false witness a man's character. You can cause a man to be convicted. We need to be very careful with our words. 
You can just say something you half-heartedly think and, and maybe, and, and you say it, and, and some people, for the rest of their life, every time they think of that person, they're going to think of that remark. And just a false witness. Be very careful about what you say about people, you see. And, uh, and so this is why we have Ephesians 4.25. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.25. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth, what? With his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, especially in a church context, but even in a context of humanity. In other words, a context of a society. It's like when the, the man, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he told the parable of the man that fell among thieves. And he was all beaten, and the priest and the Levite just passed by, but the good Samaritan went over and helped him. And Jesus was showing that if you have a neighborly heart, everyone that is in need that you're going to able to help is your neighbor. And so basically, we owe the truth to people, you see. Now, there's not times that we can be silent. We don't tell everything that we know, but there are times that we must speak. In other words, there are people that are wicked people on the street because people were silent and would not testify against them. They would not go to court and give a true witness. And so you understand he said, speak the truth. A person might say, well, I didn't lie. Well, you lie by not speaking the truth. If you're a true witness, you're going to speak the truth. You, you get what this is saying. In other words, if you have a spirit of truth, you speak the truth. And so there's times when you can lie by not speaking the truth. You see, you're somewhere and, and uh, someone in authority asks and you know. And you just keep your mouth shut. You see, and, and the truth is being owed them. And, and so there are people that have been uh, a true witness, has not arisen, and an innocent man has gone to jail or been killed, or a guilty man has been freed and on the streets. Because people have not been a true witness or have been a, when they should have stood up, or they have been a false witness. And so God calls, up, calls upon us to tell the truth, you see. And uh, there are seven things that God lists in the book of Proverbs that he hates. The first thing, of course, a proud look. But the last two is a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sowed discord among the brethren. You see, so God hates a false witness. Now, God has laws against perjury. Go to chapter 19 of Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 19 in the book of Deuteronomy. And here are the laws concerning testimony. Deuteronomy 19 and verses 15 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, starting at verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he has sinned. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, and the judges which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. 
And behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against the, his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. Now, and then he talks eye for an eye. That's justice, not vengeance, that last verse. Now, here's the thing. What, would that, what if that happened in our land? You're in a murder trial, and, a, and someone lies, and they find out that he perjures himself, and then they put him to death. <laughs> I think it cut down on perjury, don't you? You see, that's the thing. If your lie would make someone guilty, and, and you perjure yourself, and they discover it, according to this, you would get the death penalty. I mean, that would slow down perjury, I think, a little bit. And I think that's just. He goes in the last verse, And I, thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, that's not saying if I break your hand that you, through revenge, break my hand. It's just saying justice, equity, being fair about things. This is a, a law of equity. And so you want to be a true witness. Now, I don't have time to turn to the passages, so I'm going to take about two minutes and three and explain something. This standard, God upholds himself. If you'll find in John 5, Jesus said, if I bear witness to myself, my witness is not true. What in the world is that about? What he is saying is, it's not legal. No one would have to accept it. In chapter 8, he says the very opposite of John. You can look and check on your own. He said, if I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. So how do you reconcile this? What he is saying is, legally, you did not have to receive the testimony of one man. So in chapter 5, he goes on to say that John the Baptist bore witness to him. The mighty miracles he did bore witness to him. God's voice from heaven and God's commendation and pouring out the Spirit upon him bore witness to him, and the Scriptures bear witness. So he was saying, I am not speaking of myself. Now in chapter 8 he said, if I did speak of myself, my witness is true. In other words, because he's true. But this is what people don't realize when they get to 1 John 5. In 1 John 5, he speaks of the Spirit being truth. And then we have 5, 7, 1 John 5, 7, which a lot of people question its validity in the preserved text, but it's Scripture. And the last word says about the Spirit is true, and then it says, for there are three that bear record. The word there is witness. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Three that bear witness. <laughs> You see, the three persons, because they are distinct persons, you know, I can't go tell a police officer, well, i got three witnesses. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a father, and I'm an educator. And they say, you're also crazy. You're only one person. Okay, well, God is one being, but he's three person, and the distinction of those persons means he can give three witnesses. The witness of the Father, the witness of the Son, the witness of the Holy Spirit. And so God abides by the very standard he gave. And he says that the testimony of man is true. How much more the testimony of God? 
and the testimony of God. You see, Allah can't give a testimony. Only a triune God can give a testimony. And plus, that's the validation of 5-7. You take 1 John 5-7 out of that text, God doesn't have a testimony. And so God gives a testimony. I challenge you to study John 5, John 8, 1 John 5, under the principles of Deuteronomy 19. And God upholds that very test for himself. And he validates by the Father, the witness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus validates his ministry by the preaching of John the Baptist, who was a great prophet, by the many mighty miracle works that he did, by the Father's approval from heaven, and by the Scripture speaking of him. He shows by these witnesses that he was indeed the Christ. And so we need to be people of truth. And sometimes it is not just not telling a lie, but it's speaking up. And sometimes it's difficult to speak up at the right time. People lie and steal. My wife and I were going to our daughter's house yesterday evening, and a lady ran into us. And I could tell she was as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Something was wrong. And I'm talking to her, and I'm trying to, she's, well, just pull over, pull over, pull over, you know, because she was going to take off. She, wanted to, she didn't want, and so I'm trying to get some information, and I turned around for a second, and she just took off. And I didn't get, I got a partial on her plate, uh, but uh, hey, there's a lot of people that like that in the world. But we need to be people of truth, and we need to stand up for the the truth and not be false witnesses. I know in school, I've learned over the years, you know, I, you, you get children, you separate them, and you, you know, and, and I've had them, and they're telling all this stuff, and I stop and I say, now, where were you? Well, I was over here on the blacktop, and the incident happened over in this area. They weren't even there. Well, he's my friend. You know, he wouldn't say anything bad. And so you have to be kind of smart. And, and kids, they, they'll do. They'll give those false testimonies, you see. And even we sometimes in our life don't tell the truth. Get backed into a corner, and next thing you know, you're saying something that's not true. We need to be people of truth, you see, people of truth. All right, let's all stand. Thank you for listening.